You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Week, ooh, week seven, all conference games once again. And if you're not sure who we are, mwwire.com. Thanks for coming by, stopping by, saying hello. Hit the uh, whatever podcast of choice, Matt. You subscribe, like, uh, maybe share it. That's always cool, too. But uh, we're here, week seven. And the schedule, Matt, is out every – it's all evening games, essentially. First time all year, I believe. And Saturday. That's true. For first kickoff is at uh, four o'clock Pacific, five o'clock Mountain Time. So, if you're looking for an excuse to hunger down in front of the television, just make sure you do nice things for your for your family, for your significant other early in the day, so you can so you can earn that a little bit more. Exactly. See when your team's playing, other teams, um, you're able to seek in an early game. I know there's a good game at nine a.m. Pacific at Penn State, Michigan, but uh, we don't care about who that cares about Penn State, Michigan. We're, we're all about. The Mountain West here. I know. I'm just saying, if you wanted another game that looks the the number next to the name looks high, that's a possibility. You have plenty of time to do both. I'm just saying, people like who to, needs uh, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, especially if Bryce Young's not playing, right? Who cares? <laughs> They're gonna lose by 15 if he's not playing. Probably not, but I'm just saying. <laughs> You're right. Anyway, you, yeah, we know what teams we want to follow. What do we want to get to? It's your choice to make the right decision to watch the right games starting at 4 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> so. 
we're almost at the midseason point. We may do some midseason stuff another day, probably maybe after the recap or something. But we start with Utah State at Colorado State, CBS Sports Network. Aggies are, they're not at our power rankings. They moved up quite a bit after the Air Force win and close to BYU loss. Are they a team that's deserving to be double digit favorite over Colorado State or are the Rams just that bad? Well, um, consider that for as rough as other teams have been in the conference to this point in the season, yeah, everybody's played at least five games. And, and this is a really, really layman's sort of answer to it. So, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. But the Rams have scored 60 points in five games. The, the next lowest scoring team is Hawaii, which has scored 101 points in six games. So taking that, you know, taking that into consideration, as well as the fact that the Rams are going to be starting their third quarterback of the year, Giles Pooler, in this game, you know, because Clay Millen's not ready yet. You know, Braden Fowler, Nicolosi probably got banged up a little bit last week. Yeah, there are plenty of reasons, I would say, for, for Utah State fans to feel good about being able to take that next step forward back from the abyss that they were in in September. Yeah, they've been playing it's some of Cooper like God ah, moving the pocket or getting um, Cobbs in there. Um, not Stephen Cobbs, boy, she's take guy, but the other Cobbs are getting plays down. Brian Cobbs. Right. Sorry. I get them to mix up. And then if I keep stamping, I say Cobbs. And then I, I take care of it essentially. And you step in and say that guy. But one thing about with the way you tell such plays is great. Rams, there's a good article over at the Colorado about we've, we've discussed about transfers with this team, guys leaving the team, hitting the portal before the four games. So if they want a red shirt and save the year, they can do that, which is mm-hmm. fine. They're down to about 60 scholarship players, mid sixties. That's a, probably the estimate from, from the Colorado and over there about, cause we've seen Dante, right. We've seen other receivers. We've seen random players. We probably don't even know of that left even not even right now, but just during the coaching change last week, Todd Santeo, who is a, People, I, I kind of put a tongue in cheek. How do people feel about Todd Santeo over at James Madison being added to the Maxwell list? They're like, good for him. And it shows Steve Adagio sucks even more as a coach if he goes to a brand new FBS team and is doing that well. So it's about a dozen players that left the team, including Devin Phillips this past week, a defensive lineman. And so this is going to be a long build for them to come back because you can only sign, what, about 25 players? Is that the limit, I believe, about somewhere in that range, mid-20s? Uh, yes. I forget. They made some a few exceptions with COVID and who you can sign or not, but still the maximum is 85. You might be able to go above that to get to 85, but I forget exactly what the new tweaks they've made. You get guys from the portal. So even if they sign a full class of all freshmen, that's that might get them to 85 before players graduate or more transfers or whatever. People just medically retire. So those 60 points yeah. you said in those games is very few. So it's going to be a multi-year rebuild, even more so than when Norvell was at Nevada the first time where it took a few years oh, yeah. until he got Carson Strong. Like, oh, I got a guy here in Carson Strong. So and, it's, ran, and it's, it, it's really true that it's it's going, you know, I thought I was we, you know, when we talked about the Rams in the preseason, I was sort of splitting the difference between, you know, a sort of a slower than expected rebuild and that, you know, that sort of big historic type Utah state balance that, that the Aggies had last year with that influx of transfer talent. And so I, I thought that they were like right there on you know the edge of maybe being a bowl eligible type of team. And I think it's definitely trending in the direction where it's probably going to take two years before 
you can maybe start thinking seriously about that because you know the you mentioned Devin Phillips that was news to me and then I went back and looked you know it just happened yesterday so I must have overlooked it yeah this article um, was posted I think late last night or something so I was yeah because I had seen that you know Garrick Robinson who was you know a wide receiver had also uh, left for the transfer portal in recent days so you start looking at sort of what the projected depth chart looks like at this point and you know, on the one hand, they do have a number of graduate athletes, especially on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line, where, you know, at this point, they're starting three grad transfers on the O-line and like, I would say a handful, uh, including guys like, you know, Dequan Jackson and CJ Ojanetti. Um, Phillips would have been one of those number um, who this is their last year of eligibility. And then, you know, there's a lot of unproven entities behind most of those guys. And then on the other hand, you're starting to see that those guys who are stepping up into more prominent positions, you have guys like Justice Ross Simmons and, and Lewis Brown, not wide receiver. Um, you know, we saw it earlier in the year with guys like, like Drew Kulik, who was a redshirt freshman at linebacker. You know, you're seeing sort of that on the one hand, guys who are sort of, I hesitate to say playing out the string, but they're playing out their eligibility, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, a whole other group of guys who are being thrust into the fire, more or less. And, you know, we haven't even started talking about the game yet against this, you know, against this Utah State team yeah. that, you know, there's on the aggregate, you know, the numbers still don't look that pretty, but there's no doubt that over the last few weeks, the Aggies have made progress in this game. And I think, you know, one of our old compatriots, Sam McConkey, put it out there, I believe it was he who mentioned it that, Utah State's probably licking their chops going into this game. Yeah. This Just in terms be- of like the, you know, the talent disparity and, you know, the fact that, you know, whatever struggles these teams had uh, early in the season, you know, Utah State has found a way to overcome them. You know, case in point, you know, Utah State is still ninth in the Mountain West in, in third down conversion rate, let's say. Um, you know, it's still under 30% the season, but over the last few weeks, it has gotten better. They were at 30% in the loss to UNLV, 33.3 against BYU. And then last week, they topped 40% for the first time since the UConn season opener. You compare that to where the Rams are at. The Rams are still dead last at 17.7%. And there really isn't much out there to suggest that things are going to get much better, at least in the immediate future. That's... Man, I don't know what they're like. This 11 points, it's huge because new quarterback, like you mentioned, they're not running the ball very well. They have one wide receiver out there for the Rams. But like defensively, like you mentioned, I should pull up here. So, do you have the defensive numbers Rams put out there for points? Because you mentioned how low they're in scoring offense. The defense did score two touchdowns last week versus Nevada. That's something. That's true. Um, for the year, both of these teams are still uh, giving up about 35 points a game. Yeah, so not great. <laughs> so, no. Utah, but Utah State, the last couple of games, like they only have in conference play 58 points in two games, which is, sorry, not only, that's a decent amount. But trying to figure out, like, when you kind of, we need to separate the Utah State a little bit from the Alabama game is skewed. Weaver State happened. It's weird, not, not to break them apart, but just going the past couple of weeks, the past three week games, actually, they've been scoring about uh, uh, defensively, still not great. They're giving about 30 points a game defensively still. And so maybe there's a chance for the Rams to make some noise there because the Aggies defense has been getting better. But 
still not ideal. I know versus Air Force, it's a different little beast, a big beast of what you're going up against and trying to stop. If I recall, there weren't a ton of big plays against like Brad Roberts or his Daniels back there, like running the ball. BYU had big plays against him, so that's kind of against him as well. So I think the Rams might have a small chance. But offensively, clearly Utah State has found something, even going back to the UNLV game, because even Logan Bonner's there, he had all the interceptions, but he was still moving the ball pretty well. So now that they have a quarterback that doesn't turn it over as much, that could be a big thing. But I still think defensively, Rams, not I'm not predicting a win, but I think there's a small chance they can maybe get a few more points than expected. I mean, I think if they're going to do it, they have to try and build off of what worked last week against Nevada, which was running the football. Yeah. You know, they got that standout game from Avery Morrow. And that was really the first time all year that we'd seen the Rams sort of, you know, pound the ball between the tackles as a sort of a compliment to, you know, getting just getting the ball out quickly with the, this sort of the air raid passing game. You know, so they've been an accurate team, but they haven't really been the same kind of explosive team they were hoping to be until Moro showed up last week. But I would also say that against Utah State, that is still sort of a tough ask, if only because, you know, the Aggies are still one of the best teams in the Mountain West in terms of their ability to, you know, create disruptive plays. Um, you know, for the year, you know, in terms of raw tackles for loss, they're still number one in the conference. In terms of overall stuff, right, they're just outside the top 20 nationally at, at 23.9%. So basically one out of every four plays, the Aggies are either stopping it at the line of scrimmage or pushing it back. But I do think that given the Rams' problems with pass protection in particular, I, I, I say that, you know, especially with Pooler, or, you know, getting his first career start, I really don't think they're going to want to put any more on his plate than is absolutely necessary. Definitely not. He's, despite he's the, number three. Despite the reason. fact that for as strong as the Aggies have been in terms of their ability to disrupt in the ground game, their their pass rush hasn't been quite as strong to this point in the year. Like their, their team sack rate is still just 4.4%, still 102nd in the country. And in on standard downs, so like, you know, your first downs uh, and basically anything that's, uh, you know, second and seven or fewer, third or fourth down and four or fewer yards. You know, Utah State, their, their pass rush has been sort of surprisingly weak. Like their, their sack rate in those situations is only 1.1%, which is 129th. So I think if, if you're Jay Norvell, if you're Matt Mummy, you might be tempted to try and balance it out at least a little bit because I don't think if you're that Rams coaching type, you want to necessarily abandon the, the passing game altogether. But I do think it is probably the kind of situation where you don't want to have to come out swinging on first and second down through the air. I think you know you want to use the run to set up that air raid offense on second and third down in more manageable situations, especially if you're sort of counting upon not necessarily having that ability to stretch the field. Like you're, you're looking to get the ball into the hands of guys like Torrey Horton and Ross Simmons as quickly as possible. So how do we see this? I think with this game, it's going to be a big game for, I think I want to say blowout, but I'm not entirely sure if Utah State's over under is pretty low. I just think this will be a game for like, go back to Utah State's defense. Still, this will be a game where they can step up and show out better than they have been and give up a few points. Mm-hmm. Imagine what, Coach Anderson, the defensive coordinators, and all those guys out there thinking, like, what can we do against this third-string quarterback? They sort of have a running game. They have one receiver, but that's about it. We can take care of him with whoever is going to be guarding that guy. I think this could be like a three-touchdown victory for the Aggies. It could, and especially if 
they come out and they decide that they want to put the ball in Cooper Legos's hands and say, okay, go win this game for us. And I think that there's a lot to suggest that that might be a good strategy, if only because, you know, if you look at it in terms of like pass attempts per game, no team in the conference has seen more pass attempts more often than Colorado State. They've, they've faced 35 throws per game. And opponents have figured out that they can do a lot of damage against this Rams secondary. You know, only four interceptions, I believe, in terms of passes defended. They're still dead last in, in the conference. And, and maybe more importantly, for Utah State, they've also given up an opponent's completion rate of over 65%, you know, and about a little over seven yards per attempt. So you combined with, uh, you know, a pass rush that has been basically Mohamed Kamara and, and staff to this point in the season. Yeah. You know, I would not be surprised if Utah State came out and tried to go for the jugular early, especially with the way that that passing game has really come alive in the last few weeks. I think Lega has shown, you know, even going back to the bowl game last year against Oregon State, that he can create big plays. He can get the ball down the field and also add a little something with his legs as well. And so I think that this is a prime opportunity for him to sort of cement that reputation and, you know, use the passing game to sort of set up Calvin Tyler Jr. and Robert Briggs to solve the game away late. All right, what are the advanced numbers Advanced numbers say for this one? So uh, SP Plus does like Utah State in this game. They give the Aggies a 68% win probability, projected margin of about eight points altogether. Uh, FBI also likes Utah State over the Rams by 6.2. Parker Fleming, uh, at Stats O War on Twitter, his advanced stats preview gives Utah State an 81 0.78% win probability projected margin of about 34 to 21. I thought you were about to say 34 point margin of victory. <laughs> no. Not quite. Oh man. Uh, quite. What, what do you think? I think those are kind of low numbers. I'm wondering if they're kind of baked in for, from the first couple months, first month of the season where Utah State was kind of struggling. It, it, I mean, it, it is. Like if you look at the advanced stats review, you still see that there's a, a a, a fair amount of red on both sides. So, and, and it also doesn't keep up. It also doesn't account for like, you know, the quarterback switch that the Aggies have made. It only sort of provides the information about the team as is. Yeah. Like what they've done. And which so, which he will remind you of on Twitter every single week. Parker. Yeah. Also, should you know for him, did you know, I actually signed up for the day. He has like, if you want to help him out, Go to his, was it Purple Theory? He has like a little subscription. Mm-hmm. Not Sorry, it's a lame thing, but a subscription thing. I'm like, hey, so go through him a few bucks. I'm like, we mentioned it enough. I'm like, I think I should uh, assist in his cause to help him out. So if you want to get more stuff from him, go check out his Twitter, Stats Award. Go give him a few bucks a month for something if you're inclined to learn more about this stuff. So exactly. Little, shout out for him. I did that last week. I'm like, I think it's time to help assist him since we literally use his numbers every time and talk about it all the time. So I think that'd be helpful. Yes. So what's your score? So, but, to, but to answer your question, I think Utah oh. State's going to win this one on a walk. Uh, I'm going to say 41 to 10. You took my score just about. Man, oh boy. Uh, I'm about to change it. So should I go bigger so Aggie fans like me more, Matt? It's like 50 to 3. I'm that is entirely to... up to you. I, I know it always is. I'm no. just going to I'm just going to remind you in our in our listening audience that you know, yes, Colorado State won last week, but they won it with two defensive touchdowns. Correct. I, I would wager that the way that Utah State has played, that they are likely not to, you know, provide that kind of opportunity in this exactly. one. And this is a better offensive team. It's a better team overall. Yeah, in general. Sorry. I'm going to go, I'll go 35 to 3. 
All I, right. The over-under is intriguing, but I don't think the Rams can keep up their end of the bargain if you want to go over 45 and a half. So. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. New Mexico at New Mexico State. Oh, I made a mistake. I said all conference games. We do have one non-conference game. The Rio Grande rivalry. They mm-hmm. lost Cruces to Mexico. Is this a flow sports game, Matt? I'm assuming. Uh, this, I, yes, it is flowfootball.com. If you want to go shell out 20 bucks to watch this game online. More Although I'm curious, like, do, do you happen to know how much tickets are for this game? Oh, right here. looking at the ESPN. They have the little ticket average. It says $21. Interesting. How far is it from Los, I should ask Roger this, but Las Cruces to Albuquerque. Do you know the drive? Uh, not off the top of my head. I think it's about two, two and a half hours, if I'm not mistaken. It's not too bad. You get home kind it's of late. It's also an early evening game. So you home kind of late if you want to take the drive, which it's That's a rivalry true. game. No, it's a rivalry game. You better go drive this game and watch it in person. So it's it's not – I don't think it's not locally shown because I don't think it is. I need to check College Press Box because sometimes they put those – not the flow games. Those are the uh, um, Hawaii games sometimes. But mm-hmm. Lobos are a six-and-a-half point favorite in this game. And – New Mexico State, we've seen them, what, three times this year already? Is that correct? This Hawaii, will be the third time. Third time. Hawaii, what, Nevada for that opener, I believe, where they lost all of the games. Oh, no, they beat Hawaii, excuse me. They crushed Hawaii. They lost to FIU, who's really bad, last week. They got beat by UTEP, showed up by Minnesota. Um, what, I guess the big thing about this, New Mexico's new offensive coordinator, Derek Waymeyer. Keith Rittenauer, yeah. Yeah, he, well, he's taking over for Devin there, Derek, excuse me, for the OC job, and he – and I saw our buddy Roger, who knows the program pretty well, does our Lobo stuff for us. He's pretty psyched for him because what he did at the high school level before he became at the Lobo. So he's a pretty respected guy for what he can do. But That's true. I, I think the main thing you want to see from this is, like, can they get the quarterback play to be average? Miles Kendrick, who hasn't been great. Only three passing touchdowns this year. Hasn't really thrown. He, his completion rate is okay. It's gotten a little bit better. But overall, when you see some of the stat lines, like, oh, boy. He's like four or six LSU game. That doesn't really matter, but he's about a hundred yards past the game. It seems like nine of 28 versus Boise state and a not close win or, or excuse me, not close loss early on. They've lost three in a row. He showed a bit better versus UNLV and Wyoming a bit, but he has those picks and the offensive lines are protecting him. So if they could help do something, cause he runs pretty well. Like we've seen him running averaging out before sack yardage. He's probably about 200 for the year. I'm guessing mm-hmm. because he has two games of minus 51 and that's all I can tell about diving super deep. So he runs reasonably well when he gets a chance, not being like scared or just chased. I think, I wonder if they want to do that a bit more because versus one, we had 19 for 72, but I do think they'd rather obviously quarterback his completion rate's gone up the past uh, couple weeks. He's been pretty good, but it's just the uh, mistakes. I don't know if that's the OC thing or if that's a him thing, 
for the interceptions that he's been going on. But the offensive line, clearly, like an OCO line coach, Sepi Dill, not needs to be um, adjusted in this matchup to get the win. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, honestly, like you point to the quarterback situation. I always thought that they, I was going to see more out of the ground game well, than we've it. seen. Yeah, but quarterback's been so bad. I think you got to do a little bit more, I think. That's all I'm getting at. But you're correct. We thought the running game would be better as well. And I think that that's going to be important in this particular matchup because, you know, that is really one of the things that this team, these two teams have in common is they've both given up maybe a little more ground against opposing rushing games than you might expect. You know, just in terms of like average line yards per carry, for example, New Mexico to this point in the year is 101st on defense, which is maybe a little surprising when you, when you really look at it. Um, but New Mexico State is 118th in the country, 2.96, you know, line, line yards per carry. And when you look at, you know, other sort of related metrics in terms of like opportunity rate, for instance, which is essentially just how often running backs get to the second level. So like after those first three or four yards or so. Again, that's something else that both of these teams have in common in terms of like common struggles. New Mexico is 124th, and New Mexico State's 121st, so they aren't that much better. And and same the same thing holds true with stuff rate too. New Mexico, for as well as they've done defending the pass, their stuff rate is still just only 13%, 13.1. That's 118th. The silver lining for them is that the Aggies are 128th with a stuff yeah. rate hovering around 10, <laughs> 10%, 10.6. So yeah. if, I mean, I, I think what you say about Kendrick in that passing game is absolutely true, but it would not surprise me if they figured out how to get back to basics first and just try to give that running game a shot in the arm because we've seen flashes of what they could do. Like we've seen, you know, Nathaniel Jones have some nice runs here and there. We've seen Sherrod White have some nice runs here and there. Same with Christian Washington. But we just haven't seen it over the course of 60 minutes. And I think, like, if he, if there is ever going to be an opportunity for them to sort of turn that around, it's going to be against this Aggies defense, which is, has really been pushed around early and often this yeah, year. Mm-hmm, definitely. And maybe it's a game because, again, that's what we thought would be the strength of this team. We never felt the Kansas transfer coming in would be – would Miles Kendrick be this light of the world and everything. And we could see what Kansas is doing now. He'd have no shot to start with – was it GF? Dane, I forget the guy's name, Daniels. There, it was Jalen Daniels, and now it's J- uh, Justin Bean. Okay, Jalen. Although, Daniels. although Daniels, Daniels did say he's, uh, he was like, oh yeah, about that There's initial report. So we'll see. <laughs> I yeah. was getting Jalen Daniels and Jaden Daniels, the former ASU LSU quarterback, mixed up. I'm like, I know it's a Daniels yeah, yeah. guy, so I'm like, get coming to like Jaden Jalen. But yes, we felt the running game would be better. But I think the key in this game, besides the Mexico State not being good, is that is the Lobos' defense is probably going to shut them down. Like the overall, like, I don't know how much points New Mexico could score because their offense, we know it's not ideal, but I think the defense is going to come in and just shut down the Aggies. And that's probably, or most likely, how they're going to win this game. Forcing punts, three and outs, getting those turnovers they tend to get. And that's going to be the edge. Uh, excuse me. I believe that, no, that's clearly the edge because are they still, you have SP plus in front of them, they still mid 60s in total defense, SP plus the Aggie. I believe they're just under that. I don't have the I don't have the article in front of me. I think last I checked, they were somewhere in the 60s though. Okay, but when you look at what the what the Aggies do offensively, they are quarterback plays terrible, under 45. percent Their running game it's okay with like Star Thomas and Jamani Jones back there, but it's nothing awesome. And uh, like 25 percent of Jamani or excuse me, Star Thomas's play rushing yards came by one play. 
They do score touchdowns. They, I guess the biggest threat is Justice Powers, a wide receiver, but he only has nine catches, a deep threat, but no scores. So they have a little bit offensively, but overall, like they're not completing the ball. They're four and a half yards of carry, which is fine. But I just don't think they're going to move, do anything against this Aggies or excuse me, this Lobos defense. Yeah, I mean, I think one one really interesting thing, which I, I wasn't aware of until I started researching for this game, d- despite all of the inefficiencies that you just mentioned about New Mexico State, one thing that they have done fairly well is protect the quarterback, which I think yeah. makes for sort of an interesting case on both sides because for for as as much as you know, I, I guess I would say like a dearth of havoc in terms of defending the run. And New Mexico is still, I believe, third in the conference in, in yards per carry allowed, which is which is pretty good. So it's it's not saying that it's been like an overall weakness. Let's say, um, you know, we saw them even even though they they scuffled and, and struggled in, in recent losses to the uh, to Wyoming and UNLV, you know, they still allowed under four yards per carry against both of those teams. And so one thing that I look at in this game that could that could be a potential X factor, especially if the Lobos offense can't get it going is the fact that the Lobos' defense does have a sack rate of about 7%, 7.1 overall, which is, you know, 42nd in the country. And New Mexico State, by contrast, they've given up a sack rate of just 1.6%, which is 6th in the country. Yeah, that's helpful, right? Which, I mean, it's only helpful insofar as, like, you need your quarterback to make plays. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> And and it hasn't really mattered who they've started this year, whether it's been Gavin Franks or Diego Pavia. Um, you know, between the two of them, they've combined for two touchdowns and ten interceptions. So, you know, even if they manage to keep the quarterback upright, or even if even if you know Pavia or Franks are able to extend the plays or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, there is still plenty of opportunity, I would say, for the Lobos to be able to press their advantage because I would say one thing that they definitely have the advantage of is with their secondary. Like we, yeah. we know what Dante Martin and, and AJ Halsey and Jared Reed and everybody else back there can do. Exactly. So, you know, so even if the offense scuffles, you know, unlike the last couple of weeks, I could very easily see a scenario sort of like the UTEP game where it's the defense that steps up and either gives them short fields or, or puts points up on the board enough. So to sort of help keep the Aggies at arm's length. So I think my main thing for this game is can the Lobos protect the quarterback because Chris Ojoy has three sacks, which is solid for half the season. It's not too bad. Yeah. Protect the QB is their main thing and see with um, get some offensive going. I'd like to see the quarterback a bit, but I think the running game is low. But I think protecting QB is the main key here. And then I guess just disrupt the lackluster passing game that Aggies have. They have a lot. They have 10 interceptions too. So like you just mentioned secondary, whether if they can't get to the quarterback, which the offensive line saw it pretty good for the six lot, like you mentioned, but 10 picks through five, six, seven games, wherever they're at right now for the uh, Aggies here, seven, six games. Yeah. They'll, they'll find a way to get it done. And I think Aggies are not going to, they're not going to have any chance in this game. By the way, I just mentioned Dante Martin and I didn't realize that he didn't start last week. And at the moment he's not actually listed on the depth chart for this game. Oh, okay. Then. Uh, and I just want to bring that up because yeah, I don't know how much of a huge difference that'll make, but they did slide Jarek Reed from one of those wolf safety spots over two cornerback opposite AJ Odoms, uh, elevated uh, true freshman Jamarius Lewis into this into the starting lineup. So okay. so now the Lobos have two true freshmen in that starting five back there. 
something interesting to watch, maybe maybe more interesting narrative to watch for the long term. I don't know exactly how much of a difference it'll make in this game against a struggling Aggies passing game. Yeah, so what do the numbers say for this one? So SP plus, uh, as you might expect, likes New Mexico. They give them a 59% win probability, projected margin of about four points. Uh, FEI also likes the Lobos by 10 points. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Lobos a 72.3% win probability, projected margin of about 29 to 21. Okay. What do you say then? I think that when in doubt, you trust whoever has the best unit on the field. And I think in that case, it's the, it's the new extra defense. Okay. I think they're going to be able to sort of keep the Aggies. You know, if you're imagining like big brother sort of holding little brother by the forehead or whatever, you know, <laughs> exactly. you know that, that sort of thing. Totally. That's yeah, sort of what I'm imagining this game is going to look like. So it may be more of a workmanlike performance, but I don't think they're going to compare. I don't think they're going to complain that they get back in the win column. I'm going to say 21 to 10. Not many points. Uh, yeah, because over under is 37 and a half. I think Aggies are not, that's good. It's not going to be close. The Blood Boys have got this game in hand. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go 30 to six. A nice little uh, blowout victory there. All right, then. Air Force at UNLV. This is the, is this the game of the week you think at the conference? It might be, if only because both teams still harbor, you know, I mean, in Air Force's case, faint division title hopes, but I mean, UNLV's still only a half game behind San Jose State. They lost the head-to-head. They got work to do, but they're still very much in the mix. So, yeah. So this matchup, 7.30 Pacific out at Allegiant Stadium there. Air Force is a 10-point favorite. UNLV's coming off a their first uh, really bad loss last year, losing 40, or excuse me, last week, 40-7 to versus San Jose State, where mm-hmm. not much went right. Doug Brumfield left the game. Um, I spaced it, didn't look up. Is there a status update on him? I did not take it. For some reason, I did not think about him not being out until now. Is there an update on Brumfield's, or is it going with Cam Friel this weekend? Considering that both Cam Friel and Harrison Bailey are listed with an or atop the latest chart, I would take that to mean that Brumfield is probably going to miss this game. Okay. All right. I just, for some reason, I spaced looking that up. So, but Cam Friel last year, was he, was was he our freshman of the year we chose for the conference? Yeah, I believe so. He did. I mean, he did set the the freshman program record for completion rate. I yeah, think the one thing that sort of held him and the rest of the Rebels' offense back was, you know, too many too many turnovers, too many interceptions. Mm-hmm. But last week, you know, we saw even though he wasn't able to lead the Rebels back, uh, you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm looking for encouraging signs, zero interceptions. Because Spartans defense is good. Like I mentioned a couple of times, like they're back to what they did two years ago with Kate Hall and Pohoko back there doing things, just stuffing teams down. His Air Force defense isn't quite as good. He'll get a uh, getting an extra week of practice is ideal, obviously. And so we'll see if he, with that, not just being thrusted in there, that he'll be out there and be able to do his thing against Air Force, which mm-hmm. Calkins, they've had some weird losses, <clears throat> a couple of weird losses. Utah State. The only reason I say it's kind of weird because the way the Aggies have been playing, but maybe they're what they're supposed to be. But lose to Wyoming, they barely squeak by Navy. They're having their red zone issues are catching up with them. I'm wondering if UNLV's offense, which can, assuming it moves to what we kind of expect, if this might be like the overrunner is reasonably high, kind of high at 50, not too high, but kind of like 30 to 20, essentially what they're saying. I think mm-hmm. that could easily be beat because if, 
Friel is back there throwing to if Kyle Williams is fully healthy, running the ball with their backs. With the way they've been playing and scored a lot of points, if UNLV can get that going, this might this might be tough for Air Force. He might be losing their third conference game. I mean, I really do think it's going to depend on whether the passing game can get off to a faster start, though. Yeah, that's if key, only yes. because you know one thing that we mentioned and that we talked about in last week's matchup against uh, against Utah State for Air Force, which I think definitely played a factor in that game, is that the Falcons basically have have generated zero pass rushes here. You know, they're still dead last in the country with a one point seven percent team sack rate. So if if I'm UNLV, you know, I'm thinking even despite the quarterback switch, that this would be a really good opportunity to try and get Friel or Bailey, who ends up, whoever ends up making that start, you know, into an early rhythm. Because they, they tried last week with Brumfeld, and, and he was only one of six before he got knocked out of the game with that injury. But I would, I mean, if I were Marcus Arroyo and offensive coordinator Nick Holes, I would not be gun-shy about trying to do that again. Because I think if there's one area where this Falcons team can be beaten, which I would say that uh, that Utah State proved it, I think most recently last week, it's going to be through the air. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <clears throat> yes, definitely throwing the ball through the air. So with this particular game overall, what we're seeing here, I. You don't know, are they five and two? Oh man, I was gonna. I had a good plan. I was winding up here. I thought they're five and two, five and one, going for a bowl. bowl Only four and two. Dang it! There, there goes my point. I was gonna go something like they're gonna do it. Bowl game, <laughs> first time since North Texas, the hardest city ticket, whatever. Insert sponsor name here: Texas Bowl in Dallas. But I do think, obviously, the key thing here for one of the key things, I guess, one we haven't discussed too much is: can they stop Brad Roberts, Izzy Daniels, John Eldridge the third, running the ball, or limiting them to huge big plays? And when you look at who UNLV is like their big star, like uh, defensively, we had all the transfers. They had Jacoby Whitman leave. They had um, the injury. Uh, what's his name from Brandon uh, Scott? Yeah, Brandon Scott from the preseason. But they have like Austin Jacque back there, who's pretty good. Pretty good defensively. You know what I mean? Linebacker. He was, there. A, he was a tackling machine last year that basically nobody outside of Vegas talked about. Yeah, maybe us. Hopefully, we did a few times. I'm not sure. We, but, we I believe we mentioned him a few times. But yeah, but I mean, he's he's in that front seven. He's averaging ten tackles per game so far this year. Yeah, sixty eight TFLs, three sacks, two interceptions. And I think that's. And I and I think I'm glad that you brought him up because you know I think I would imagine in a lot of UNLV fans' minds the beatdown that the Falcons ground game put on this front seven last year is, is probably really fresh in their minds at the end of the season where the Falcons didn't even have to attempt to pass and basically ran away with a, with a big victory. And so I think that's really where you have to start looking at this game is, you know, can UNLV's defensive front be better than it was last year? And I do think, that you know there are reasons to suspect that they might be, but they're going to have to they're going to have to get off to a fast start in that regard. They're going to have to generate a lot of disruption, which isn't always a guarantee because like they've been pretty good about rushing the passer. You know they're they're right outside the top twenty five at this point in the season with a, with a team defensive sack rate of seven point eight percent, but their overall stuck rate is still right around seventeen percent, which is below average. It's eighty fifth overall in the country. And so, you know, maybe more so than than the linebackers, guys like Ajaki mm-hmm. and uh, and Kyle Beaudry, who's also been pretty solid this year. 
they they need more production from the defensive line in particular, more than just Adam Plant. They need those guys in the interior, especially, to step up and have really big games. So like guys like Tavis Malakias, Leo Amare, you know, Muavesi, who we've seen be solid for the most part. Yeah, especially but, you know, the Air most, Force, it's the fullback but died. But most of their disruption Ooh. has come from the edges. And if you're Air Force and you're, you know you're probably going to be giving the ball to Brad Roberts 20 times a game, it's going to put a lot of pressure on that interior to win early, uh, to win early and often, for, you know, or at least win and battle this Air Force offensive line to a draw. So you know what I imagine when Air Force offensive coordinator or whoever's running the plays or getting their meeting, they put like because you mentioned the mid middle of the defensive line is not I not great for UNLV. It's that guy it's, who's it's licking it. He's licking, he's licking his lips and put his hands go like, all right, we got this to go full back dive thirty times a game. Essentially, I know it's not. I the edge is better, but I'm just thinking like, well, if we're not going to challenge that guy, we'll just go up the middle every time. And they have some one guy who's like. You know what I'm talking about where he's put his hands together. He's like, all right, here we oh, go. Yeah. And that's what's that's what they're saying. And that might be the key to get this game. So you might see more fullback dives. And if you don't, or I mean let's say it does work, excuse me, then that clearly obviously opens up other things, but the fullback dive to a play action and within the fullback dive there and go over the top, which they do a lot anyways, but that could be even more potent if you don't know he's like, oh crap, we gotta pinch somebody over, slot make our defensive line either bring everybody in a bit more like toward the center and the guards or bring a linebacker in or something that's going to leave some other position open on the field or at least space of the field for some sort of pass, whether it's just downfield or if they, a linebacker steps up, they have the whole middle to a, one of the tight ends air force has, or just some crossing pattern possibly to get a decent size gain. So that's what you is going to try to have to figure out. But I think that's going to be a lot of fullback dive Saturday night. Yeah, and I do think I do think it is worth noting that like even though on the traditional stat sheet, like uh, I'm, I'm focusing on Ahimare uh, in particular, mm-hmm. according to Pro Football Focus, he's been one of the best interior defenders in the Mountain West at this point in the year. He's actually fourth among qualifying uh, interior defenders with an overall grade of eighty-one point eight percent. So if if he can have you know another really good game and 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 out and do his job so the linebackers can do their job to slow Roberts and, and the rest of that ground game down, that's going to go a long way. But you know it's definitely going to be that group effort that I think determines where that whether this game is close or not. I think it'll be close. I think because the only way it's not close is if Air Force rattles off 10, 12, at least on their Falcon side, I should say we can mention both the side talk could be maybe a a blowout and a double digit victory, I would say, would I think that would consider a blowout. And the Falcons favored by tens a lot on the road. But I think it would be a, a big victory for Air Force to achieve that if it's 10 yards here, 15 yards here, doing seven, eight yards of carry. But again, like you, you mentioned, and we've talked about the past weeks, they've dropped the ball on the ground. They've been red zone hasn't been ideal. But I think if they get those big chunk plays on the ground, which is kind of the game plan they want to do anyways, that's how they're going to be able to take care of UNLV. And then the other side, Rebels. It's, I get, it all comes out of Cam Frill because I don't see, I don't think, I don't see a scenario where Air, where Air Force is blown out in this game by UNLV. If they're going to, it's because Cam Frill had a great week of practice. He's getting hooked up with Kyle Williams, all the receivers out there who are good. And then also the defense is their part to, yeah, they may give up 250 yards in the ground, but there might be only three rushing plays of like 15 yards or more at most. That's mm-hmm. the way they're going to do it. Just slow it down and have Cam Frill not turn it over, which he didn't do last week. 
But I, I think this is going to be a closer game than expected. Like 10 points is a lot for either team, specifically the way Air Force has played. I still wonder if people are like, well, it's still UNLV, guys. It's it's whatever. It's Rebels. I'm like, yeah, they got blown out versus San Jose State, but San Jose State's really dang good. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is, too, is like if, if Air Force is efficient enough to make it a game of limited possessions, then one thing that UNLV is going to have to do, they're going to they're gonna have to make their possessions count. And that, I think, is something is, is worth keeping an eye on with regards to like third and fourth down situations. You know, Parker Fleming in his advanced stats preview, one number that he puts out there is third and fourth down success rate. And between these two offenses, that is one major difference between them. Where, you know, uh, on, on offense, the Falcons uh, are 18th in the country with an overall success rate, 51.7%, basically. To this point in the year, for, for all that UNLV has done, their success rate in those same situations is 36.4%, which is 109th nationally. So while you look at, you know, the fact that the, the Rebels are fifth in the conference right now with a, with a conversion rate of about 36.3% on third downs in particular, you know, if you look at what, how that compares to what they did last year, there really isn't that much difference. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the conference is down on third downs in particular. But I do think that that means in this particular contest, Marcus Arroyo and that coaching staff, they're going to have to be willing to roll the dice to, to keep possession on the field. So like, you know, if there's a, you know, fourth and five situation where maybe they're at the Air Force 40 yard line, let's say, and they're, you know, down by three, I think you have to give a lot of consideration to rolling the dice and trying to see if you can move the chains there. But we'll see. So what do the debates numbers say in this one? So, SP Plus likes Air Force with a 60% win probability projected margin of 4.5 points. FEI also likes the Falcons by a little more, 12.4 overall. Uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives Air Force a 77% win probability projected margin of about 38 to 28. I'm going Rebels. I'm taking, I'm hopping on the Rebel bandwagon right now. I'm all in. Even okay. with backup quarterback Cam Frill, this may be the detriment to, sorry, Sean, uh, if I'm picking the Falcon, not your Falcons this week. I think 10 points is way too much. I'm not just picking the, 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 like, the cover. They're going to win. I think Air Force has just been too weird sometimes. Like their losses are kind of losing to Wyoming, Utah State. Like, I'm going to go 30 to 28 UNLV. I think I would take UNLV to cover. Okay. But I don't think they're going to win this game. I'm going to take Air Force. It's going to be close. I'm going to say 31 to 24. All right. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Next game, FS1, 745 Pacific. San Jose State at Fresno State, who is still starting. Can I, can I make a quick correction there? I believe that game is actually on Fox Sports 2 because of the Major League Playoffs. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm looking at ESPN. I think so. We'll I saw it on social media that it was mentioned. Either way, we recommend checking both FS1 and FS2. 
we'll keep it's going to be on one of those. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll check. Yeah, we'll, so was this from like Fresno State side or San Jose State? Yeah, side? I believe it was uh, put on there and there on the football Twitter. We'll make sure in our uh, previews that are I think one's out there already, but we'll double check. But also easy option. Here's a plug, Matt. Get our Fubo TV trial. You can just log in and authenticate and watch it that way. There you go. There you go. That's the move. That's an easy way too, because it's baseball playoffs, whatever. It's okay. Your Giants aren't playing, right? I'm assuming, correct? Sadly not. Okay. My team, my former team is winning. I don't care. The Astros, I'm like, whatever. Good job. But I still not watching. I don't care. The big cheaters, I get. No, they're dead. I don't care. So it's a Fox channel, but regardless, it's 745 Pacific. And Matt, what trophies online this game to let the people know? Because I don't want to say the wrong one and get people mad at me. That would be the Valley Trophy. That's what I thought. Very, very, very cool looking big silver V with the with vines on one one side and uh, well on one side one half of the V and then the sort of the motherboard looking thing on the other side of the V. I've seen it up close and in person. Very aesthetically pleasing. A lot of people don't like it. I don't know what they're talking about. It's it's a good trophy, man. Come on, all the it is a good trophy. Give me all the trophy games. That's what I want. Yes. So we're still Logan Fife a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, Sparns are a holy mackerel. Eight and a half point favorite, Matt. Is that accurate? For That's gone up. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the Circus Sports tweet that they put on every Sunday afternoon with the opening lines. What did it start at? He opened at minus three. Whoa. Dang. How did which I, miss I could that? not believe. How did I miss that one? <laughs> Dang. I, I wish I knew. Eight and a half, yikes! That's that's a lot. So is it? So is it even more than eight and a half? I'm looking at. I guess ESPN's with what Caesars? I think I don't know. Yeah. Last I saw, and I believe I checked yesterday, it was seven and a half. But okay. it would not surprise me if it went up a little more. Spartan, they are four and one. They got what a single vote in the top twenty-five. One of the polls this past week on Sunday morning. Yeah, by uh, by uh, Ryan Thorber, I believe. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, be right at trip.com. Thank you for supporting the conference, Ryan. Good job. But this is right? Yeah, I don't have an AP vote. They're not gonna give us one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could dream, but no, I don't want I well, I wouldn't want an AP vote. It seems too much work. And little little payoff and public shaming if you do it wrong. <laughs> but this okay, back to the game here. So Spartans are are clearly their number one team in our conference. I believe on okay, our poll when we put it out there, our one of our Boise guys put Boise one, which you can make the case for the being number one. But every other vote went to San Jose State this past week for mm-hmm. a good show, and they beat the pants off of a good UNLV team, 40-7 to last week. Who cares if they had their backup quarterback? The game wasn't close. Spartans, and you've been on this, and I've kind of picked up too a little bit, followed your lead. They're back to what they did two years ago. The defense, it was all the injuries last year. The defense figured something out from last year this year. Did they? Okay, I could be wrong, and maybe just me not remembering. Was there any major defensive coaches changes this past year for the Spartans? Do you recall? No. No, the the problem okay. last year was that the the offense fell into a funk, especially after Nick Starkle got hurt. Yeah, and the defense did its best to sort of drag the the offense to respect. I mean, this was still a team that won five games last year. They were not that far away from being a bowl team, mm-hmm. despite the you know the the injury bug. But I mean, there's there's no doubt that they've they've gotten back to being a more well rounded team on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and I guess if your offense hangs out to dry, it's like, what are you going to do sometimes? Yeah, exactly. But Shavon Cordero is my – if we do our preseason awards, which I guess we'll be doing next week, he's my player of the year right now, which I was on the – with what you guys and he has been why. It's like, hate to have been to you guys, but you guys had the best quarterback at the conference on your roster last year. I guess tuning into what happened this season. And they're like, yeah, whatever. They're kind of all bummed about it. They're having some fun with it. But he – 
like coach. Uh, no, I'm not gonna get that now. I don't want to talk about sad stuff that could happen down the road. But the Spartan team again will come down to as it has been the past couple weeks, and they succeeded at it. Kyrie Robinson or Cordero apparently running the ball. If they can get that ground game going, that's the only missing piece in my opinion to why they why they can't be better. Like why why they probably should beat freaking Auburn and been under be undefeated right now and bring probably number eighteen in the country. Cordero could be a bit more. He has no interceptions, which is wild to believe. His completion rate could be a bit better, fifty eight percent. Yeah, fine. He has the offensive line is a concern too. Seventeen sacks on the year is their biggest, besides the rushing game being inconsistent. Is what the way I could see for Izzo State getting after this team. But again, Matt, we I don't think ah, man. I don't know, I just think there's the holes on San Jose State are far fewer than Fresno State at the moment. No, I mean you're definitely right, and we haven't even mentioned the injuries. Like you mentioned, Logan Fife starting again for Jake Hainer, mm-hmm. but the early indications are that you know Evan Williams still not back. Josh Kelly, wide receiver, still not back. You know, Raymond Scott, limited, might play, might not. Leonard Payne on the defensive line. Uh, Cameron Lockridge, cornerback. So, yeah, I mean, you know, health is a major factor. And and it has been for this Bulldogs team in particular over the last couple of weeks where it just has not looked like the guys who were were being asked to step up are – yeah, at least to this point, have not played at the same level as the guys that they're trying to replace. And against this San Jose State team, that could be a huge problem. Because, I mean, and, and I hesitate to say that because it's not like it's all doom and gloom. I think one thing you mentioned that could work out in Fresno State's favor to keep this a closer-than-expected game is the fact that they have been pretty decent about rushing the passer. You know, as a team, 6.7% sack rate, that's 45th in the country. And and knowing what we know about San Jose State and their, you know, sometimes they give up way too many hits uh, on Cordero. Yeah. But it could just as easily be that they they find ways to sort of get Cordero on the move outside of the tackle box, you know, and then use that as a way to get the ball down the field. But it could just as easily be that, you know, given what we know about Fresno State's sort of recent issues in terms of defending the run, that you mentioned Robinson as an X factor, and that's definitely true, especially when you remember that Fresno State gave up both over six yards per carry to both uh, Boise State and USC in their last three games. And you know, while they sort of buckled down against UConn in, in, in between those two contests, I think it is pretty safe to say that the Spartans are probably a little bit closer to Broncos to, to the Broncos and Trojans than they are to the Huskies. I, th- I don't think that that's clearly the case. I don't think that's close at all. Yeah, and and you know I mentioned you know his sort of ascendance, especially over the last few weeks during the three game win streak that they've had. He's averaged almost six yards to carry himself, five point eight one altogether, four touchdowns, and at least for the moment has the second best run grade, according to Pro Football Focus, of any running back in the Mountain West. So Cordero gets the headlines, makes the highlights. Mm-hmm. Robinson has been just as important to this team over the last few weeks. Oh, exactly. And yeah. so it's it's going to be difficult for the for the Bulldogs to be able to slow that duo down. Well, and also, let's move to back, flip it over again. Now, if it's line for Fresno, is, uh, how would you say it, Matt? Not good? Is that a it good is messy. Is? Messy, and then... Oh, let's see. They have Kyle Harmon tackle machine. Yes, only one sack. Kate Hall has a two and a half sacks. You have uh, Villabuffa Hoko, two sacks. They have multiple. They don't have many sacks on the year, 
but I expect those guys who are getting sacks and TFLs to uh, up their production this weekend. I think there's chances well, to do that. And that was one thing that I pointed out in particular that could be, uh, I would say, a red flag for Fresno State on offense in particular is the fact that it hasn't really mattered who's been under center. One thing that they've really struggled with is passing downs. Yeah. And, and especially pass protection in those situations. So for for those of you who don't know what a passing down is, essentially it's the opposite of a standard down, which I mentioned earlier. Hey, hold on. So it's, it's, when, it's when you throw the ball. That's a passing down. <laughs> so it's so the, the exact definition is basically any situation that is second and eight or more yards or third and fourth downs with five or more yards to go. Okay. In those situations, Fresno State has given up a, a sack rate of 14% to this point in the season. That's 127th nationally. By contrast, that happens to be an area where the Spartans have excelled. You know, their, their team sack rate overall is only 6.3%, like I think I mentioned. But in passing downs, that number jumps up to 11.5, which is in the top 20, 18th overall. So I, I say all of that because stopping Fajoko, stopping Hall, that, that's going to be important no matter what. But in those situations where you know they're going to be coming after the quarterback, it is an open question as to whether Fresno State's going to be able to protect Fife. I don't know if they can, man. I don't know if they can. Did you mention injury-wise Jordan Mims? Is he back at all? Uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen anything about his his health. I know that they struggle with a lot of other health issues. Okay, I just remember he's I just been... know I just know he was bottled up last week. They really need him to get back on track. Oh, I think maybe the problem that's, is maybe that's why I, I think the problem is now. they can't rely on the Wildcat to do it. They can't rely on direct snaps. They have to get something out of the passing game. Yeah, and if the receivers are gone or injured or banged up, like you mentioned Kelly before, especially with the Wildcats, like they know what's coming. It's a run or a stupid jump pass. Come on, that's all it is. Or it's or it's like a pass back to the quarterback, like some sort of end around or they eventually the ball somehow gets back to the QB and he makes the play, which is like, come on. It's mm-hmm. Tedford, again, okay, let me ask you, uh, this might hurt a little bit, but I'm going to have to ask you anyways. You remember the article you wrote about this being the worst hire ever a couple years ago? Mm-hmm. Is it second, it should have been, printed for the second time around with Jeff Tedford being the head coach? Well, I believe, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I, no, 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 what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reframe that a little bit because I That's know fine. for a fact, and That's I don't fair. remember if it was with the Bulldogs preseason preview that we did or whether we talked about it with other sort of second second time around hires. You know, there was a whole article on this. I believe Bill Connolly wrote it several years ago now at this point Probably. about how in general, head coaches at, you know, at their second stop or their second go around at a stop have not generally been as successful historically as they were the first time around. But I put out there on Twitter, I think it was about a week ago at this point. My concern is, was it, was it Jeff Tedford or was it Kalen DeBoer? Mm. I'm going to lean Kalen DeBoer because look what Michael Penix is doing at Washington. He had him in Indiana and not Washington and look how well he's doing now if they're not having him around. And I mean, and I, and I say that while also recognizing that, you know, to this point in the year, oddly enough, the Bulldogs are, I mean, it, it sounds strange to say because they're still third in the Mountain West in total yards per play, mm-hmm. but there's little doubt that, you know, I mean, I maybe it is all the injuries, but I honestly don't know if you can explain the entire drop-off that they've had 
because between the first three games and the last three in the last two, they, their efficiency on offense has dropped by three full yards per play. That is not an exaggeration. Oh boy. They've been under four yards of play against both UConn and, and Boise state and, and taken in tandem with, you know, red zone issues that, you know, preceded this, the switch of quarterback and in the, the injuries elsewhere on offense. Like it just has not been, I mean, it was never an offense that fired on all cylinders and it's been even more limited now that they're having to dig further into their depth chart. So what do you think? Like, it's, what's just, it? it's just not a good situation to be in. I, so with, with the way you're talking, you're not going this game, are you? You're watching from home. N- no, um, I'm going to a silver sun pickups concert downtown. Instead. Right. There you go. That might be a better choice, possibly, if you're a Fresno State fan. Probably. So what's, and what and if you're thinking of doing the same thing, it's sold up at this point. So uh sucks for you. Yeah. Secondary market, buddy. But then it'll be more. Yeah, expensive. exactly. Um, so what, what do the advanced numbers say for this matchup? Because right now, um, it's like we said before, eight and a half point favorite. Road favorite, which is a lot for the Spartans. So I'm going to take a wild stab and say that SP Plus hasn't caught up with Fresno State's problems yet. Because the Bulldogs <laughs> are favored. Oh boy. 50, 59% win probability projected margin of 4.1. Cannot say the same about FEI though. FEI like San Jose State by 9.4. Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Spartans a 76.89% win probability projected margin of about 28 to 18. And part of SP plus, they don't account for injuries or replacement players. So that's probably why they're still behind a, behind a bit there. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to San Jose State 31 to 10. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think the Spartans are probably going to win this one pretty easily. I got them winning 38 to 21. So if Fresno loses, are they not going to a bowl game this year? They'd be one in five. I mean, their margin for error gets very slim Obviously, after that. Clearly. Between five and five. Because five <laughs> although, like when you look at the second half of their schedule, it isn't inconceivable that they could turn it around. That's true. New Mexico, but they are state, they're Hawaii. definitely facing long odds. Like, did, did you see that tweet that I put out there um, a few days ago um, from Brian Fremo? You know, he put out sort of his latest win projections. I remember seeing conference. It, I don't recall the Fresno State number, but I do recall seeing it. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Do you want to vamp for a second? Yeah. Well, I do know one thing about that Utah State. We're five point nine, and people are like, oh yeah, let's get to a bowl game. Let's do this. But the schedule itself, I'll read that out real quick. At New Mexico, very winnable. Host San Diego State, they look like trash. So that's a rivalry game, maybe. Hawaii, yes. UNLV, I don't know. At Nevada, probably, yes. Wyoming, probably. Yeah. I found the tweet. I put it out there on the 12th so you can go look it up for yourself if you'd like. At MWC Wire on Twitter. Only five teams are projected above six wins, according to FEI. That's Air Force, Boise, San Jose State, UNLV, Wyoming. San Diego State's at 5.5. They're on the fence, um, which I don't think we've, we've gotten to that game yet, have we? No, we're next. Or no, they're off this week. I'm oh, no, that's right. no, we have one more to talk about. Um, but Fresno State is at 4.9 right now. Interesting. Neck and neck with, coincidentally enough, Nevada, who we will talk about momentarily. All right. Did you give your score projection? Right, thirty-eight to twenty-one, San Jose okay. State. Okay, make it sure. Okay, Nevada at Hawaii, late night game. Team One Sports app. It's uh, what midnight Eastern, nine o'clock Pacific. Uh, we should we should note too for, for those people in the Reno area, 
the game will be broadcast on Nevada Sportsnet as well. Is that streaming or is it just like local TV? Uh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't read the article, let's say. Um, <laughs> it does, it does say, according to the game notes, Nevada Sportsnet Reno on television. Okay. Because our buddy Brandy, who lives out in Florida, does Nevada stuff. He's like, I don't want to watch on my stupid tablet <laughs> or phone. Yeah, I would say, game. if nothing else, you can double check it out for yourself. I would recommend following Chris Murray uh, at by Chris Murray on Twitter for that information and more. So we'll we'll yeah we'll take a look on that because there's a if it's streaming online, there's alternate ways to watch this game. Just FYI, if you need to, I can help you out. Yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. We'll see. But this game itself, um, we. It is a <laughs> late game Hawaii. Oh, is there no line in this game? Oh, I need to double check here. I don't have a line here in front of me. Uh, or, or I thought it was like under. Hawaii plus six or Nevada pull, minus six, I guess. I'm going to pull this up because I'm on ESPN and they have all the lines over under. There's nothing, but we'll get to that later. That's not the most important part of the game. The most important part of this game is – it uh, is cur- Okay, so I can, it can interject real quick. I found it. It is currently Nevada minus six and a half. Nevada is a road favorite at Hawaii? Where they barely win ever? Oh, man. Give me the rainbows, I'm thinking. Easy. As I say that, they, Nevada wins by 20. Tell me more. Tell me more I'm gonna why. Talk. I'm going to tell. I'm gonna make you talk about that. <laughs> well, here's – I know they're – okay, here's why. What did Hawaii do good last week against San Diego State? Stop the running game. So, if with Toa Tau, they're running the ball, and Dante Lee, if they can have a similar aspect and slow down that pass deck, do you trust Nate Cox or if somehow Shane Ellenworth gets in to throw the ball down the field? Like, I don't trust Nevada's offense at all. They scored 14 points last week. But I do, the reason why I'm thinking that could be a possibility is this will be a low scoring game. And I think if, 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 again, it's a big if, if the running, rushing defense comes back to what it did last week for Aztecs for Nevada. Aztecs rushing game is way better than Nevada. I'm assuming like chance bell, all those guys run the ball bird. I think if that comes back to play and they do a similar performance, that's why they could win the game. Nevada's offense doesn't scare anybody. I know Hawaii's not good either. Both these teams are not good on, on the whole, but if Hawaii does that similar thing and Dedrick Parsons can get out there, run the ball as well on his end. I think that's how they couldn't just force Nevada to throw the ball to whoever they got out there to it from a defensive coach, Ken Wilson. I mean, you, you say that though. I know, but I, I and I, I, can, I, I fully understand that there are plenty of reasons to be dubious about Nevada's passing game. You know, I think you, you really don't have to do much more than look at the numbers to this point <laughs> in the season, where you know that game was it against uh, Incarnate Word is looking more and more like an aberration. Like they play at the same team. time. At the same time, you the the opportunity that presents itself for the Wolf Pack in this game is the fact that Hawaii's pass rush, like we talked about with a couple other teams so far, not great. And we just saw a quarterback who had been a safety the week prior throw for over 300 yards against this Hawaii defense. I understand that. (laughs) So I look at that and I think, (laughs) I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it's a guarantee that Nevada will be able to sort of turn it around. You know, you're still talking about an offense that, you know, for, for the year, still only averaging 5.6 yards per attempt, only 55% completion rate. Yeah. You know, to their credit, they haven't turned the ball over that much. Only two interceptions in 176 pass attempts too. You know, that that 1.1% INT rate is going to play. Mm-hmm. But I do think, like, if, if I'm thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to attack this Hawaii defense? 
why not try and do the exact same thing that San Diego State did? Which, you know, we're talking about an Aztecs team that had two 300-yard passing games in like the last three-plus seasons. So I'm thinking, okay, this might finally be the time for Cox or Illingworth, whoever whoever ends up under center. And for those wide receivers, we've seen flash yeah, for them to finally be able to step up and, and, and you know, have explosive plays and, and put this Hawaii defense on its back foot. Okay, but uh, you're not wrong because there's Hawaii's defenses. They're both bad teams. Like their defense, like Asta. There's a lot of there's a lot of coin flips. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's like trying to okay, who's better, who's not? Okay, Braden Schrager, Schrager quarterback. Okay, whatever. Schrager, excuse me. The best player, what Toatau possibly on the field? Dedrick Parse, the running backs, possibly. This game is going to be if you're you're dedicated for watching this game. So I appreciate it if you go out and if you watch this game because these teams are. Two and four and one and five overall. Like, it's going to be a low scoring game. It's probably going to be a close game. I don't think either team is good enough to ex- like expose or ex- have a lead expand 10, 12, 14, 16, 21 points. It's going to come down to who doesn't screw up or who screws up least in this game. That's sad to say, but neither seems to do anything all that special. I do one thing to notice why with Timmy Ching, the offense is sl- slightly changing a little bit. But it's still not getting that much, that many result, much results or good results, really, because they only put up 14 points and they had a chance to beat San Diego State and they couldn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, you know, to your point about you know avoiding sort of the backbreaking mistake, you know, on on paper that would seem to be something that favors Nevada because for as as rough as things have gotten for the Wolfpack, you know, they are still number one in the conference in terms of total takeaways. You know, four, you know, nine interceptions, five fumbled recoveries, 14 takeaways, which is, you know, plus nine turnover margin. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be the kind of thing where, you know, if, if Hawaii is not careful, that could play right into their hands. But one thing that I think has maybe gone overlooked, especially over the last month, is they have gotten at least a little better about protecting the football, which... You know, maybe that doesn't say too, too much considering the offense as a whole has still struggled over the last month. But it is worth noting, like other than other than the two giveaways they had against Duquesne in mid-September, they didn't have any turnovers against Michigan. They didn't have any against New Mexico State. And they had only one against San Diego State. And we've also seen that they have that they can be adept about creating turnovers of their own. I think most especially against Western Kentucky and Duquesne. So, and uh, again, coin flips, but I do think that there's possibility where like, you know, it, you might be tempted to think that Nevada could be the one that forces Shager into mistakes, or maybe a person puts the, the, the ball on the turf that they can jump on it and create a short field for themselves. But it could just as easily be that, you know, Nevada is the one that becomes turnover prone and puts Hawaii in a situation to put, to put themselves in the driver's seat. I think with the history of what Nevada's done in Hawaii and how bad they are, I just I'm leaning Nevada to win this game. Or excuse me, oh, no, apologies, Hawaii slip there. Maybe they will. Maybe me just saying that means they'll win. But I just oof. I don't the travel and how bad they are. They're at home. I know it's a weird, not even home field advantage playing the complex there, which holds like eight thousand people. I just I'm just leaning Hawaii partly because of easy, easier conditions. Like they're at home. They played reasonably well last week, even 
outside of the pass defense. I just think they have enough. They, they may lose by 20 points. I'm just trying to figure things out from what I've seen because I don't trust either team, but Nevada lost to Colorado State last week. That's enough right there for me to say they shouldn't win this game almost. You know, one thing that sort of surprises me, which I think yeah. could make a major difference in this game, Nevada yes. has not been very good with their early down offense. And I think that maybe could be an X factor. And I'm looking at Parker Fleming and his advanced stats preview when I say this, because he has this sort of interesting metric of the percentage of first downs earned on first and second down. And I see this one particular thing that really stands out in in what is admittedly a sea of red for both teams. Nevada's offense has only earned 56.6% of its first downs on the first two downs. That's 130th in the country. Conversely, Hawaii has allowed opponents to gain first downs on first and second down 81.8% of the time, which is dead last. So I do think like there is maybe something there that has to give. And, and, and I don't know that there's necessarily one person that you can put the onus on there. You know, I think it's going to be, you know, Nate Cox getting off to a faster start and it's going to be, you know, Toa Tala and Devontae at least setting themselves up for those short yarded situations to be able to move the chains or at least be able to open up the playbook a little bit to be able to do so. But again, hard to say because it's like you're talking about a resistible object versus a movable force in that kind of situation. But I do think that, you know, that, that same kind of dynamic plays itself out on the other side too, where Hawaii has been a little better than you might suspect on first and second downs, as far as moving the chains, you know, they're middle of pack 66 overall. And Nevada has been pretty good about protecting against that, you know, their own defensive first down rate is 63.3%. That's 23rd in the country. Hmm. So I think there, you know, first downs and second downs on both sides, you know, whoever has the ball is going to be really, a really sort of fascinating narrative to watch in this game, I think. So what do the advanced numbers say for this matchup then? What do we got? So SP plus likes the Wolfpack in this game. They give Nevada a 65% win probability, projected margin of 6.6 points. FEI also likes Nevada by a little bit more, 15.3 overall. Uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Nevada a 71.64% win probability, projected margin of about 26 to 18. And what do you say? I think I like Nevada in this game. All right. Dueling picks, maybe. I, I just don't know if I've seen enough from the Hawaii offense other than Dedrick Parson to really trust them to hold serve at home. I don't think it's necessarily going to be pretty, but I do think the Wolfpack will get back to the mainland with a win. I'm going to say 24 to 14. I'm going to go Hawaii to win 14 to 7. <laughs> All right, There's not going to be any. No, no, I'll change. Let me make quick. No, I'll go. Well, is Brandon Thompson still out? Is he playing still, the kicker for Nevada? Uh, I have not seen anything about his status. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make a slight change. I go 14 to 10, still for Hawaii's favor. Mm-hmm. This game, like, I'm honestly might just catch the highlights in the morning because I don't know if I'm staying up late to watch this type of game. Similar to what I said about CSU Nevada last week. I'll tune in and see early. But I, I don't know if I'm going to stay the whole game up to like 2 a.m. to watch this matchup. Just heads up, people. 
Maybe I'm, maybe I'm Matt. Maybe I'm, I'm just not dedicated enough. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'll tune in and see how it goes because sleep is also important as well. Just saying. That's true. All right. Anything else you'd add for this week from the Mountain West slate of games or news or anything? Uh, I guess one quick note. I, oh, yeah. Go for it. Playoffs probably expanded because, you know, money wins out sooner than later. Exactly. So that could help the Mountain West in that regard. Um, also, let me ask you this real quick. No, I'll say this for next time. If San Jose State wins, we'll discuss this later because we've already gone long enough here today. So, but uh, as I try to say, we're wrapping up. Like, let me do one or two more things here. But MWR.com, check us out. Friday is would this probably posted maybe thursday who knows all of the quickly as i can to get just posted up here games aren't until saturday afternoon matt so people have plenty of time to listen while they're out watching their kids do soccer games football games whatever games outside stuff just going to the store and doing whatever you do around the house to prepare you know like you said matt just kind of take care of business at home so you can watch games at night right exactly so we'll be back recapping this stuff all of our previews are up i believe almost all of them up right now i posted a Air Force UNLV is up. You've done Fresno stuff. Lots of stuff is going up. So just check out mwr.com for football and a little bit of basketball starting as well. So we got some news on that front coming out. So yeah, just uh, if you made it as far, subscribe, tell a friend, and just make sure just download so you don't have to find it and wait for me to post it. Because sometimes, Matt, it takes a minute to post this stuff. You know what I mean? It takes time. But yeah, exactly. it's, direct, it's directly to the feed first, and then I'll post on the website. So just subscribe and you get it instantly. So we'll be back in a couple of days to recap a week seven. Sounds good.